Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast for in-depth discussion on film adaptations and the original material they're based on. This is episode 26 for November 25th, 2012, where we'll discuss J.R.R. Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit. I'm your host, Kendall Bryant. I'm Jessica Dick. I'm Jennifer Dick. I'm Ryan Smith. And I'm Chase Piper. We finally, finally got to this podcast, <laughs> um, and I still haven't read it. <laughs> So, well, I read the first, like, two chapters, and then I haven't touched it in, like, a week. Not because it's, it wasn't good. I was really enjoying it, but I just am busy. Also, <laughs> also, remember the other day when I was like, I'm working 37 hours this week, guys. Yeah, I miscounted um, one of my shifts, and it was actually longer than I thought oh, it was. Wow. So I'm working more than that. Good thing I got off early for Turkey yeah. Day yesterday. So, anyways, busy. You can't judge me. So... <laughs> The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, was written by J.R. Tolkien, in, and it was published in 1937, originally. That's all I have to say about that. You guys are going to have to take it <laughs> from there. It doesn't seem like it really is a book that kind of transcends time. Yeah. You can read yeah. it and enjoy it just as much today as... Back then, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. And then, like, at the same time, though, like, the language or whatnot, um, how it sounds, how it feels, is very, like, wh- what did you say it was published? Like, 19- 1937. It feels like that era. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and, and I know they, they were together in the Inklings, too, but, like, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, they write so similarly mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Like, the only, they have, the only word I can think to describe it is, like, a very charming way of saying certain things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, like, I, okay, I flipped to this part in the book because it was the only thing that I knew I absolutely wanted to say. When Bilbo is, like, taunting the spiders to make them mad, <laughs> to take them away from the dwarves, and he's, like, saying, oh, you're an Adderkop and a Tom Nutty and blah, 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 and he's like, it wasn't that great of a rhyme, but, you know, they, it, it worked because quite apart from the stones that he was throwing at him, no spider has ever liked being called at her cop. And Tom Natty, of course, is insulting to anybody. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> start going around calling people those. Mm-hmm. I think that it's fun, too, because, uh, you know, for our time, that makes it seem like another world, literally. You know? Yeah. It also doesn't help that, like, from the beginning, they're talking about, oh, his waistcoat. Like, he pops the buttons on his waistcoat, and he looks, oh, I, I can't present myself like this. You know, like, I just look so... <laughs> Terrible. Just like, who do you know that wears a waistcoat all the time? <laughs> Let alone who would be that concerned <laughs> about popping a button on their waistcoat. Yeah, exactly. Presentable. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, like, if you really think of it, like back in, it feels old worldly, but also because it's fantasy. I mean, that's something that you kind of take for granted in a lot of fantasies, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Rather than thinking of it as, oh, this took place back in like the 1970s, it, the fact that it, or not 1970s, 1930s, you know what I mean? But rather than thinking of it in that, in those terms, you think of it, oh, it's another world. Like the the older language just kind of helps you imagine the world better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether the effect was the same back then, since, you know, a lot of the terminology and such would, was probably more familiar to the people back then, but it certainly really helps while reading it now. Which is, I feel like it's different than, I mean, it's like you said, it's kind of, it makes it feel timeless because it's 
the fantasy. And I feel like the modern fantasy is very much like a 20th century thing. Like at that time, this would have been a modern fantasy, but because it was set in a different world. Whereas like now you get Harry Potter and all these paranormal romances where things are taking place in this world. Like at the exact same time as like normal events and such. It's yeah. parallel rather than Jackson. Yes. Yeah. 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 Percy Jackson as well. Mm -hmm. Which got, which was published first, the The Hobbit or the Book of the Rings? The Hobbit came after The Lord of the Rings, didn't it? Okay. It was no, written as a prologue, but I, I believe it was actually, after. I think it actually came first, but nobody paid attention to it until Lord of the Rings got popular, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just click through and find that out real quick. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read that when I was, when I was reading about it. Like, mm -hmm. while reading The Hobbit, and, you know, if you've read Lord of the Rings, there's a definite, I, I don't want to say discrepancy, because it goes so well together, it's like, it, it's the stories are good. the, just the style of writing, it's, it's different between them. Yeah. I like it, you know, in The Hobbit, it's much, you can imagine, you can imagine kids reading it, yeah. like, it, it's for a younger audience, but also, it has a greater range of audience, I think. Like, you can imagine kids reading it, you can imagine an adult reading it, whereas Lord of the Rings is so so much deeper that it is more for adults, or more of an older audience. Yeah. Yeah. And then you consider the Silmarillion and really throw people off. I haven't read the Silmarillion. <laughs> I have tried. It is painful. <laughs> I, I checked it out of the library, like, three different times yeah. in the last couple of years, but I just never got around to it. No, it's worth and mentioning, but... <laughs> mm -hmm. Although I've seen things lately that make me really want to read it, like um, may maybe this might be a tangent that gets edited out or whatnot. But like in um, Lord of the Rings, you know how when they come go to visit Galadriel and um, she gives each of them a boon, and Gimli only asks for I think like a strand of her hair, and she gives it to he she gives him three. Like apparently there was in the Cimmerillion, there's like this big there's this big warrior who's like or this hero who is just well renowned or whatnot and you know everyone loved him and he asked Galadriel for a strand of her hair and she refused him so it was a big thing that she gave it to Gimli and she didn't Ooh, wow. give it to all right <laughs> yeah so it kind of makes me want to read that yeah see if it's actually true or if this is just tumble tumbler people talking crap again <laughs> I actually just read that really for the podcast yeah yeah I just saw that cool. I thought that was pretty cool yeah but it does show like the connectedness in his world because it's it's kind of unique in the fact that it's not like a true series of books where one leads into the other but there are you know they're separate books in the same world so they do have that connection yeah yeah and it's not even like the same time period you know because the hobbit happens years years before lord of the rings yeah yeah obviously it's pretty cool and isn't it the somewhere in it happens years, years and years before The Hobbit, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Hundreds like of years. Yeah, long. Yeah, so it, it shows not just, like, the continuity, but the evolution as well. Like, yeah. I, I'm assuming that the Sumerian is, and I keep, I know I keep on butchering the title, butchering the title, <laughs> but I'm assuming, like, there are differences, even though the world still works really well. Like, you can tell that they're the same world, just with slight differences because of the time periods. I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. He, he really thoroughly created a world. 
mm-hmm. time. He, he, you know, so much material. And I think The Hobbit does a good job, I guess, setting up The Lord of the Rings in that sense. It, neither of them seem to be, like, really connected to Silmarillion. But these two definitely do, I mean, obviously have their very strong connections to one another. So it's yeah. good to read them all as a set, the three or four, rather than yeah. just take The Lord of the Rings or just The Hobbit. For sure. It was actually hard, like, after I finished The Hobbit, it was hard for me not to move on to The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> yeah, but I had, like, another book that I was planning on reading. Yeah. But it was really hard for me not to do that. Especially since I don't have all of them on Kindle, so I would have had to order them out, yeah. or buy them, or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I felt, after I finished The Hobbit, I felt kind of in a limbo for a few days, where I just, <laughs> I would start reading something else and be like, no, I'm not in the mood for this. <laughs> but start something... A completely different book. I'm like, no, I'm not in the mood for it. <laughs> it. Took me. It actually took me several days to actually find out what I wanted to read next because I just really wanted to move on to the Lord of the Rings and I, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I know we've been like, there's all these things. You know, the Hobbit movie is supposed to be in three parts, and uh, like before I read this again, I I didn't see how they could do that, but I forgot how many adventures there are in this book. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's significantly shorter than any of the other ones, but they they go through a lot of crap in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you forget exactly how many things they do, how many how many battles they have to fight before they even get to the, to mountain. the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> and to to smog. Like you forget. And then reading it, it, it's so deceivingly short. The book is mm-hmm. because it's it really is like there and back again a great adventure like they yeah. do so much in such a short amount of time yeah i am glad they're doing three parts i mean i know it's you know more money and more time and everything yeah. but movies but in the past three. yeah exactly they're doing three and they're like what three hours long yeah yeah there's so much so it's pretty much gonna be a- do we know right. that they're three hours long or are we assuming that because of lord of the rings i no. think i saw some at least the first part was gonna be the first one is two hours and 40 minutes and, you know, obviously the next, the other two, we don't know, but... I think they had the plot line for the first one, like, it's still set in stone just as it was originally going to be versus when there was only going to be two, though. Yeah. okay. I don't think that they... So it's really the second one that they're splitting, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested <laughs> in seeing what that turns out into. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Because, like, how would they divide it up, like, I don't know, between different bad guys that they're facing? I want to, like, different... Well, since well, we're talking about it now... Be <laughs> oh. after some big battle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Wouldn't want to end it just, you know, in a low part. Yeah. Think about um, Fellowship of the Ring, where they ended it right after yeah. the orcs caught up with them. Mm-hmm. Good way to put a cliffhanger onto it, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Kendall? Oh. Yes, well, since we're talking about it now, I um, I kind of wrote out all the details about the films. Um, first, I'll just go through the, like, normal stuff. It's written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, Peter Jackson, and Guillermo del Toro. Directed by Peter Jackson and starring Martin Freeman, Ian McKellen, and Richard Armaget- Arm- Ugh, words. Armitage. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know that. <laughs> I know that. I love Richard Armitage. Um, and I did actually go through the entire cast list to see who was also going to be credited that we'd seen before. So the um, other credited cast that I have um, is Hugo Weaving, Elijah Wood, Kate Blanchett, Christopher Lee, Andy Serkis. Well, that kind of makes sense. But anyways, um, and Benedict Cumberbatch and Ian Holm. Okay, Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't belong on that list but I still wanted to mention him. <laughs> yeah. You need to include Benedict Cumberbatch. Come on. Um, Did you say Orlando Bloom? That I didn't. With 
I didn't say Orlando Bloom, but I did hear that he was on set. So, he, but Maybe he wasn't... It's supposed to be like a surprise where Maybe. they don't actually credit him because they want to keep it a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I remember talking about it with people and being like, well, it makes sense. They live forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would totally make an appearance. Yeah. So he was probably still or alive at that time, and it's not like it was that long ago anyway. Yeah. So the first part, An Unexpected Journey, obviously is coming out December 13th slash 14th this year. December 12th here! <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> The uh-huh. second part, which is, I guess that's the part that they renamed, is The Desolation of Smog. And it's going to come out December 13th next year, 2013. And then the third oh. part is going to be There and Back Again, which I believe was supposed to be the the overall name of the second part originally. Yeah. And that's going to come out July 18th, 2014. So there is less time between the next two as well. Mm-hmm. Only about six months versus, or seven months versus... The entire year. The desolation of smog for the second one? Right, that's why I thought I'd bring it up. (laughs) That'd be interesting, because, like, sounds like the dragon gets beaten in the second one, so... I think we did look at this, and it looked sort of like in the third one, it's the necromancer. Yes, yeah, you one. and I talked about this. Yeah, we did. Where mm-hmm. it's supposed to be the necromancer or something, which is yeah, you don't see Benedict, this at all. Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed to play the necromancer. Yep. In the third one. He's the voice of Smog, and then he's playing the necromancer in the third one. So I think that the reason that they split the second one is because, yes, the, the Hobbit really is... The main storyline is the desolation of Smog, but like the defeat of the necromancer is like underlying the entire story, and it's I think they're going to make it a bigger story oh, than yeah. it actually is in the book. So maybe follow Gandalf for a little mm-hmm. bit as he and all the other wizards mm-hmm. go for it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We we have I was just gonna say we have talked about this a little bit before when we were arguing about whether it should have been three, or if there was enough story. And they have said that they're, it's not just the book, they're using his per- Tolkien's personal notes and things like that, so it's going to be more information, basically, than we had before, oh. canon information. So, I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I mean, it's, isn't it pretty much on... I mean, obviously he's not on set, like, telling this is how it was, but if they've got the notes, isn't it pretty much the same as with The Hunger Games or with even Breaking Dawn? Mm-hmm. How the author was involved in right. explaining things that the reader hadn't seen before. Well, his, uh, his son compiled, like, at least one, if not more, books of just all of his notes and, you know, random scribblings that he had done on his drafts and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that they can use to throw into another well, movie. You know he was a very detailed person yeah. because he has like 14 different elf dialects that yeah. he created. No. <laughs> I want to learn how to speak Elvish. Sorry. That's I, just, too. I just want to. Yeah. Forget French. That's one nerd step above speaking Klingon. It's one step above? Speaking Klingon? Oh, come on. Come on, really? I don't think so. Klingon's no. definitely... Worse than Elvish. That's what I'm saying. Below? How are we, it depends on how these steps are going. Yeah, are, <laughs> are you saying we're stepping down into geekdom? Because I think that that is really, really telling about what you think about geekdom. Stepping into nerddom, like what we were just on the threshold. Before. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although it, this whole conversation reminds me how do you remember in Inkheart how. 
they used Elvish as kind of like a code. Oh, right. Do you remember that? See, yeah. it's actually just good sense for us all to learn Elvish. Yeah. <laughs> so that we can have a secret code. We can communicate with each other. Yeah. Well, looks like we have a project here. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to figure out what kind of Elvish. Yeah. I think that is <laughs> also a debate. <laughs> One of 14 different dialects. My gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, the Lord of the Rings musical has a couple songs in Elvish, so I know at least one of those. Yeah. Oh, that's so Good job. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a start. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of want to get back to it. you think they have a Rosetta Stone for Elvish? <laughs> you know, I would have asked them if Rosetta Stone thought that they could sell it to, you know, geeks who want to learn it. I would not put it past them to make it. And if they don't, guys, that could be a business proposition. (laughs) I mean, it was saying, yeah. (laughs) So, you were saying you wanted to get back to... I kind of wanted to get back to, like, by talking about the things that happen on the way again, because we... And figuring out where they could be in the movie, because, like I said, there's so much... So many more things that happen in the book that I remember. And we have a little bit of an idea of where they might be cutting it off. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like, especially in the, I guess the third one might be stuff that we just have never seen before. It's a good chunk of it. Yeah. That's my, that would be my guess, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it might be also taking into consideration that the, the time between the last two is shorter. Um, It might point to just a shorter film in general as well. Like, they do that with, you know, like, when they split Harry Potter, the second part of Deathly Hallows was significantly shorter than the other movies had been. So it might be the same with that, where There and Back Again will be the shortest of the three. Yeah. Just kind of like the the end movie to tie up all the loose ends kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One last big battle and then tie up the loose ends. Yeah. Yeah. My guess is that the first movie, because I was trying to think, like, what would be, you've got the Desolation of Smog in the second one. And then, obviously, the Necromancer's the big bad in the film. I was thinking, like, what could be the big event for the first one? But obviously, you got Gollum. Yeah. Like, the riddles in the dark and actually getting the I don't know about you guys, but that is seriously the part that I'm looking forward to the most. Like, that's my favorite part, just because it's the start of it all. Yeah. Well, good thing is that's going to be in the first one, probably, because I won't get to see the rest of them because the world won. Oh, right. (laughs) I forgot that was happening. Oh, right. We need to learn Elvish really quick if we're going (laughs) to... Yeah. We'll have to start taking online courses and learning it really quick. Yeah. I'm just saying, if there's an apocalypse, then we need a secret code. That's true. (laughs) So, of all the adventures that they get into, which is the most memorable, besides the riddles with Gollum and, you know, um, finding the ring. Which adventure is the most memorable? Not your favorite, but the most memorable for you. Spiders. <laughs> Stupid. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm so shocked, Jess. <laughs> okay, obviously. Yeah. But they, okay, they pounce on them in the middle of this deep, dark forest and wrap them all up, and then, yeah. But at the same time, also, it's like, I do really like how Bilbo like, just kind of taunts the spiders and makes them so mad. I just imagine them scuttling all over the place and just like... <laughs> 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 so it's funny, yet also it's like, when I first read this, I was like, that's so creepy. Aw, <laughs> uh, poor Jess. Poor Jess. <laughs> Who's like, she lab all over again, curling up in a fetal position. Just make it stop! <laughs> I remember that, yes. Ryan, how about you? Memorable part? Yeah. I don't know, I always think of the the trolls because (laughs) I read Lord of the Rings first, so it was like reference 
Christopher. Taking a bath. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question too. Yep. While we're podcasting, we decided we'd all get in the bath. Yep. <laughs> um, I am always a huge fan of battle scenes. So you know, for me, it's the, uh, the massive crush of different armies that end up swarming over each other in the mountain. And, yeah, that would be the big point for me. Which I have to then wait to see, unfortunately, I'm yeah. sure. 2014, uh. July. <laughs> and honestly, for me, it's the part where they're trapped up the trees and they're saved by the eagles. You know, with the boards and the boards bottom, like, oh, burning yeah. the trees down. And then where they're saved by the eagles, because it's, it's like, you know, the eagles are coming. The eagles are coming. Full circle. It's pretty much... All of that. Oh, yeah. I also want to see um, Bilbo jump into a barrel and float down the river. <laughs> I think all of them do, don't they? Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, all the dwarves are actually inside the barrel, yeah. so Bilbo's on top. <laughs> yeah, because he forgot, oh, right, I need to actually get out of here, too. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm imagining the uh, dialogue will be quite humorous <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Some very not happy dwarves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to seeing Bilbo as a young younger man or young man. Martin yeah. Freeman, I mean, as, come on. Yeah. Got oh, gosh, Even yeah. as I like when I started reading, I was like, Yep, Martin Freeman. Could you really <laughs> picture it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, I read The Hobbits for the first time years ago, but reading it this time, you know, I actually had the picture of Martin Freeman in my head this time. Whereas usually, you know, it was kind of a faceless hobbit. Yeah. It fit. Yeah. It really does, yeah. I feel like Tumblr was calling Martin Freeman a hobbit before he even was cast. <laughs> well, he was. you and I both got on Tumblr, Tumblr last year, right? Though? Yeah, so he probably already was. So he was already a hobbit by that time. They would have already started filming. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, don't think... What, what are the, there's an animal that they call him, they say. Looks like. uh, he's, the, he's the hedgehog. Yes, <laughs> okay. That is funny. That is actually what I was thinking. <laughs> he looks like a hedgehog? <laughs> <laughs> like... He's a hedgehog, and Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed a, to be an otter. An otter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, like, one of my favorite updates was, like, it showed this um, gif of a hedgehog just kind of, like, um, in the middle of a stream, just huddled on this little rock and going, like, I don't like this, I don't like it at all. And then someone added a tag, like, oh, they released another clip of The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the start of the book, like when you know when all the dwarves come over and whatnot and they just start kind of pushing themselves in and you've got what 13 dwarves in your house did anyone else feel like they were just being really rude yeah like oh give me some bread and butter no i want some cake no i'd like some coffee and tea and there's so many cakes and let's have bacon and eggs and what are you not going to invite us to dinner and i felt like they were really rude <laughs> yeah Maybe it was another time. No, I okay. First, I read that up to that yeah. part, <laughs> and, um, and I felt the same way. But I wonder if it was about trying to make you just as uncomfortable as he was, because no. even though he's much more like about manners and proper whatever yeah. as we are, 
think about how he must have felt during that. Like, even worse <laughs> yeah. than us, you know what I mean? Like, they're just pushing themselves in. And I mean, for all, for all they knew, they were invited. Yeah. But I did yeah. have to keep reminding myself of that, but still. Yeah. Yeah, but it is, it's seriously like just poor Bilbo. Yeah. He has <laughs> no idea what's going on. I started, like, tearing up on the bus when they were singing, when I was reading it. <laughs> Which is because I'd seen the previews already, so I already knew what the tune was yeah. and, like, how it sounded. Yeah. And then when I was reading it, I was like, this is so beautiful, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then one thing that kind of struck me this time was the number of characters. You know, because in Lord of the Rings, yes, it's a fellowship, but there's such, you know, they're different, they're different species. So, like, there's, you know, four hobbits, but... You, so, that's easy to keep track of. Yeah, they're easy to keep track of. In this, it's one hobbit, a wizard, and how many dwarves? <laughs> there's so many dwarves, and their names are so similar. And yeah. yet, while reading, I had almost no trouble remembering who was who. Yeah. Like, I can only assume that, you know, the, the characteristics of each dwarf is are so expertly woven into the story that, like, I find myself mentally cataloging them while reading. It's like, oh, yeah, that one did this and this and this. And I know that one did, he's, like, the nice one. He always seems to look after it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it'll be interesting to see how well they do that in the movie. Well, I mean, like, but, but then at least, so but then at least you'll have different faces to yes. give yeah. to the dwarves, yeah. too. Right. That would definitely help. But yeah, I mean, you know, they are always much more limited than movies as to how mm-hmm. much they can include, so it might be difficult to really set them apart from one another, mm-hmm. at least in the first one. Yeah. I'm sure over three they can manage something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am uh, happy that they managed to get so many of the actors that were in The Lord of the Rings back for it, because I know at least Ian McKellen was talking about the fact that he was considering not coming back to play Gandalf. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. If he had not come back for Gandalf, that, oh. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. is Gandalf, He's, you know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Perfect. My gosh, yeah. There's, like, no one else. Yeah. So. I know that they uh, were going to have, I can't think of, the original James Bond, I can't think of his name, right? Sean Connery was actually asked to do it first, but he turned it down. For, for who? For, for Gandalf. Or? For, for Gandalf? Was this... Back with Lord of the Rings? Yeah, this was like, he was before, he was considered That would have been weird. He found the plot confusing, so he turned it down. <laughs> oh gosh. I wonder yep. if he regrets that now. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, if you it. look in the movie, like, that happens a lot. It's like, hard, though, because it's like yeah, once you still, give like, all the, the makeup and the like, dress yeah, and yeah. costume and everything that it really... Certain actors who ended up turning the role down. You can't help but think, like, afterwards, did they regret it? Did, did yeah. they see how big that's become? And they're like, crap, I could have been a part of that. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad he wasn't. In a way, in a way, if he didn't want to do it, like, if he didn't want to do it, I kind of feel bad. Because you know, if, if he, like, legitimately didn't want to do it, then you know that they had to be, like, really pressuring him, and he probably felt like he had to, yeah. in a way. Yeah. But I'm well, glad he did. <laughs> the article I read, he did say, like, uh, one of the major reasons that he came back was because he didn't want to upset fans. He mm-hmm. knew that, you know, it would mean a lot to have him there as that role, so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, everybody just seemed like they had such a good time on set and anyway so i think yeah. that probably that at least was part of it like a good um reason in the pro column for him to to want to come back because yeah. 
you know, he seemed like he did really enjoy himself and everything. Mm -hmm. And even, I know we were talking about Orlando Bloom, like, oh, I heard he was on set, so maybe they're keeping a secret, but maybe he just, I mean, like, I would have, that would have been me. That would have been me if I'd been in the first one. I would have just showed up at the, this one, like, hey guys, what's up? It's party time. I mean, to be fair, you have to fly to a different country, but. Still. Still. So. Have the money for it. <laughs> it's true. There is something to be said for, like, Try making sure that you don't disappoint the fans because I mean, Lord of the Rings fans. Yeah. Yeah. Intense. Intense. <laughs> Probably a lot of them have swords. <laughs> and those yeah. arrows. Yeah. Yep. And they'll get their mom to drive them to your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I can seriously imagine them, you know, coming out of the basement to, for once. <laughs> for once. For once. Yeah, yeah. They'd, sh- they'd shrink away from the sun. We're talking about as we're as if we're not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh no, exactly. I'm like I'm 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 sitting here thinking I have a sword and a bow and arrow. <laughs> I would be in that sunless legion. Of... <laughs> That's why we can joke that. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do wonder if they're gonna like storybook it with things from Lord of the Ring time, like at the beginning and end, like it's told as a story to Frodo or something like that's that, because Elijah Wood is credited. Yeah, that's actually when you said Elijah Wood, that's what I was wondering how they do. And plus, didn't in the, the previews, in the trailers, it just kind of said like I told you this, but yeah, I it feel was like the old Bilbo's voice. Well, he's also credited. Yeah, as so old Bilbo. It does make sense that they would do it as kind of a story. Huh. It'll be interesting really to see interesting. how they set that up. Like, will it be, like you suggested, will it be where they begin with him telling the story? Or will he be, will it start off as him just kind of as a voiceover narrator and then you find out at the end that he is kind of telling the story? Yeah. The options are, it, it's open. Mm-hmm. They're open. And in Lord of the Rings, wasn't Bilbo, like, writing his story? In the beginning. Like, at, yeah. 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 And then he handed the book to Frodo. At a and then Frodo finishes movie, it know. in the last yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Or writes his story down in the last yeah. one. Mm-hmm. So that could be it too. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't aware that that was a, uh, something that was mm-hmm. considered a possibility for it. But I, I think I like that actually. Mm-hmm. No matter what they do at that point though, uh, I that, that is definitely one decision where I'm like, either way, I, I would be happy. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of pretty much anything that they can do there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, those are the only, like, returning cast members that don't make sense to me. Like, obviously, Hugo Re- Weaving and Kate Blanchett, it's like, okay, well, they would have been alive. Like, yeah. so I'm not, and they would have looked the same. And, I mean, I'm not, yeah. it doesn't yeah, no, no, no. weird me out that they're there, you know, on this list, mm-hmm. so. And, I mean, Elrond is in here, too, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, see, yeah, I don't know things. He comes. They go to Rivendell. I mean, I knew they did, but that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. he was a character, so. Yeah. Mm, no, they, they need him. This is just personal curiosity. Christopher Lee, though? I mean, he was a wizard. Yeah, I'm like sure that. Like, Solomon, so. Yeah. Right. If, well, in this one. Well, if you think about it, Gandalf gets together with, like, the other wizards, and they're the ones who overpower the necromancer. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that, like, he would be part of those other wizards. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Before he went rogue. I'm just thinking, uh, like, why they would have him so early. I mean, I guess, you know, just um, to have him show up. Honestly, I can't remember how I did this, but I think I went through the cast list for all three. Oh, well, okay. Then it would make perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So that could be for the third one, really. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm really excited to see the wizards then. <laughs> that is so... Aren't they all supposed to be like the rainbow wizards? Yeah, different colors yeah. for each one. <laughs> I did not realize that this was a thing. The excitement level with what is now... Go like I can't. Oh my gosh, that was something. Oh, look at me, I'm freaking out. So when we were talking about memorable <laughs> moments, Chase yeah. skipped over. Well, no, I mean, okay. So like one of the things that I always really loved about that was that you you know that there are like these other wizards and things like that, but they never. You don't ever really hear anything. You just yeah. kind of get. And now if we're gonna see them all, I oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm having a moment. You just. <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> all right. I think you were just the loudest you've ever Ooh. been. <laughs> all right. Happy. Happy. <laughs> Nobody knows what to do after that. <laughs> you did just, we did just see Chase freak out. Yeah. He's finally awake. <laughs> uh, it took, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I just woke up. It couldn't really sink in as to what I might be experiencing in the future. Yeah. The joy is, whew gonna be good. All right, well, what I'm looking forward to most. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, what, are, yeah. what is everyone looking forward to the most to see in the movie? Chase, the just, <laughs> Chase just answered that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I think I, I'm really looking forward to the Gollum scene and the riddles in the dark. And I mean, what little we've seen on the trailer is like kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, that's kind of gonna be the cliche answer, but yeah, same here. I'm, I'm looking forward to that part. Mm -hmm. And I'm also looking forward to, like, it, at least the trailers make it look like, yeah, there'll be these adventures and this mystery and the dwarves singing really cool songs and stuff, but they also <laughs> look like the, it'll be touches of humor here and there. And that's yeah. what I oh, really yeah. like about yeah. it. Martin Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing, one bad thing, though, I gotta say, is that um, since I, I will be catching it, or I'm planning on catching it the day it comes out here, but since I'm in France, it'll be in French, and the voices won't be the same. Oh, right. And I'm disappointed about that. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, Jen. When you and I are home for Christmas, we can go again. And then we'll go to see Les Mis, too. Yes. <laughs> Ryan, what about you? What are you looking forward to in the movie? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to seeing the movie. <laughs> that was the most There's boring the answer I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough though i mean you know i'm happy there's movies in general so yeah. <laughs> what about you kendo what are you excited about movie? <laughs> them singing <laughs> that is definitely just from watching the trailers and such and then you know reading it with the tune in your head oh gosh uh, oh my gosh it like, like hits me in the crap, stomach so that and sometimes when when you read through especially in Tolkien, you know, he has so many of the songs where, like, they're poems, but they're all mm -hmm. written out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find that before I've heard them, in, before hearing the one in the trailer and such, you tend to kind of give it almost like a more sing-songy tune in your head. Yeah. Hearing the trailer, I'm like, okay, that is how it should be. Yeah. Better than my imagination. Exactly. Better yeah. than my imagination. That's how it's Exactly how it should be. Honestly, I usually read songs as if they were poetry because I'm not creative enough yeah, to like yeah. have a tune that's yeah. gonna sound anything mm -hmm. decent. Yeah. So I usually just read them like they're poetry. But um, and it was the same. It has the same effect. I feel like as. Um, the song in Lord of the Rings, when the Pippin song when he sings, mm. because that one hits me in the chest yeah, too. I, I can't, was, yeah. I cry when I hear that. So, oh yes, mm -hmm. 
But this one with like the multiple male voices and it's just yeah. it's too much. Oh, oh gosh. I like I, I seriously watched the trailer more times than I should, but mainly it's for that reason. Mm-hmm. The introduction of the dwarves. The song again. Like I love the trailer, but like oh, something about the song itself is you hear the first note and it gives me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know one thing I wanted to mention just briefly was, um, I forgot who exactly mentioned it, but the, the humor. I think maybe yeah. you said just that. I, I think that is one thing that they did really well in the first three, too, was kind of just, you know, you, you like the characters more because they have those moments where they're just a little funny with each other. Yeah. And you can, it makes them just a bit more relatable. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you were really like yeah. Jess and I, we yeah. still, like, we have, you know, kind of the inside jokes where every so often, well, right after watching the movie, you know, you kind of, it's the beard part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Not the better Because there's so much seriousness around them. Yeah. That mm-hmm. you remember, yeah. Like, you pinpoint the funny ones. Yeah. Even more. Like, I can only imagine that with these, ne- with the next trilogy, it'll be even more pronounced because mm-hmm. there's more room for humor. Yeah. With the yeah. story itself. Yeah. Martin Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you added that almost as an afterthought. Like, and Martin Freeman. And Martin Freeman. Oh, I'm so excited. Also, when I remember when they were like kind of just kind of was coming out that Benedict Cumberbatch might be in it kind of thing. And I was like, of course he's going to be in it. Martin Freeman's in it. <laughs> you know he's coming along for the ride. Yep. <laughs> Tumblr will be in an interesting place after, oh, yeah. after this. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, let's talk about the book a little bit more, oh. like, just as as itself. I don't really know exactly what to ask, but usually, like, maybe specific characters you want to talk about or themes that you saw or... One thing, um, I think the head dwarf, his name is Thorn. Mm-hmm. Is it, I always find him really interesting because at times he seems like he seems so proud that he's almost laughable mm-hmm. and yet like he's clearly this big powerful guy. This He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of clout. He's like the grandson of the king under the mountain. But like the way they describe him doesn't seem that imposing. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> or maybe I'm I'm different than other people's impressions. What I find interesting about his character is that throughout the books, the way you feel about him changes. Seems to be always changing because you like, in general, you like all of the characters, but with Thorin, I don't know, he he seems more detached from the other dwarves, even though he's mentioned probably the most. Him and Bomber. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, like, he's detached, and by the end, it's like, I don't know. There are certainly times where I'm like, I don't even know if I like this guy. Yeah. Well, I think part of that... It's been a while since I've read the book, but from what I remember, he's the one, obviously, most driven to go mm-hmm. get back the mountain. And so I really think that's something that is just, it, it makes him, you know, kind of on a different, not like a, you know, better or worse level, but he's just operating on sort of a different motivation from the rest of them. They're like following him and whatnot, but he's got this sort of thing that pulls him away from everyone else to a degree, I guess. Yeah. And then obviously, of course, there are, they, because he's the leader and such, you know, they include conversations that he has with Gandalf where, you know, he's questioning Bilbo's role. Yeah. And Bilbo, as the main character, you know, you're supposed to like him. As the reader, you're already like, hey, 
he's supposed to be there. You defend him. <laughs> mentally, you're like, he's supposed to be there. He's the best character ever. You're automatically on the defensive for Bilbo. Yeah. So it kind of adds to the whole impression that, oh. Yeah. And yet, at the end, you're supposed to, like, be so broken down and mourning him. Yeah. He gets struck down. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's fair enough, you know, for him to question it because he's got himself and all the other dwarves. And if there's this, Did I mean, we? I guess you can only, yeah, you can always just say, you know, yeah. Team's only as strong as its weakest link, or something like that. It's a yeah. legitimate concern, but at the same time, like you said, you love Bilbo. You don't yeah. want Bilbo to go. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm not just actually talking about you know the beginning. I'm also talking about you know after they've been on their adventures for quite a while, mm-hmm. and it's to the point where you know they all start looking to Bilbo. Yeah. You know, kind of as obviously he's proved himself at this point, mm. and they still are looking towards Bilbo, and yet there are certain parts where. Thorin still doesn't, even after he uh, Bilbo's proved himself and everything like that, he still doesn't seem to equate as much respect as I want him to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You think he's deserved, that he's earned so yeah. much more than that. Exactly. You mentioned him a little bit earlier, too, in moving away from Thorin, but um, Bomber is probably one of my favorite dwarves. <laughs> if anyone is presented as a comical character, yeah, he's, definitely him. Uh, I would be very much surprised if he's not comic relief. In addition to, you know, the overall general, like, comic places, I, I'm, I'm betting that Bomber's gonna be, in general, the comic relief. I mean, come on, he's, he's the fat dwarf who, in the forest, gets put under a sleeping spell and now everyone else has to carry him. Yeah. It <laughs> sounds like it's set up for a joke already. Yeah, they, they'll they use that. No, not necessarily, because <laughs> if you think of the descriptions, they never mention that dwarves are actually fat. Yeah. They're hardy. They're like, you know, they're stone people. They're sturdy. They're sturdy, but they're not necessarily Stone people, to be that's fat. from Aragon. Yeah, that's true. I was, think, I was thinking more like the people under the mountain, like Thorin's stuff. Right. Imported into characters, I mean, how do you feel about Gandalf in this one versus... How you feel about him in Lord of the Rings? Well, honestly, he's definitely not as as prevalent a character on the surface. In the book, definitely. In the book, yes. Because, you know, he's there in the beginning. He's the one who kind of brings the company together. But not long after, you know, he kind of drops out of the story for a good good portion of the adventure. Mm -hmm. Only to come back to the end. And yet, he, he definitely still has the same role as, like, when he's there, they all look to him to solve the problems. Yeah. They all expect him to solve the problems. And, you know, most of the time he does. They rely on him. And oh, in yes. fact, once he leaves, they tend to, like, they kind of replace Bil- him with Bilbo. Like, mm-hmm. first the dwarves look toward Gandalf all the time to get them out of pickles. Mm-hmm. And then, like, once he leaves, they look towards Bilbo to figure things mm-hmm. out. I, can I say, I always, like, I love Gandalf. He's, obviously, he's, you know, he's the one to turn to, he he usually knows what's going on, stuff like that, but he's never really presented as this lofty character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's approachable. Yeah. He's, like, he's he's a wizard, he's powerful, and they obviously display that, but he's still approachable. Like, he's, you know, still in blowing smoke rings with Mm -hmm. Thorin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, like, these little things where you know he's not completely perfect he's a wizard yeah but he you still get the impression that yeah he's human or (laughs) as human as a wizard can be 
in yeah. any sense of the story. Yeah. Yes. He definitely seems like the sort of person that you'd want to have around for afternoon tea, or, you know, he'd bring over his crate of fireworks yeah. and you'd have a blast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes my humor is pun intentional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he always is the trigger for things, though. He starts everybody else off. He's such an instigator. He is. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's smart enough about it. Uh, like with, uh, well, in Lord of the Rings, he doesn't take the ring himself and think, oh, well, I'm going to do something with it. Like he very easily could have. But he knows his own weakness. You know, in that, in that, you know, doing so, he sends another Baggins off to do, you know. So, I mean, yeah. he, he's like, he's got it out for this family. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dark mm, side of the family. Mm. Yeah. They've always been a little more adventuresome. <laughs> Not quite as Those darn noble. Tucks. Those darn tucks. <laughs> what was it? Son of a tuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that kind of in this in The Hobbit and in um, Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna kind of bring in a Harry Potter reference here, is where, you know, they're talking about okay, I hope that I can actually explain this well. In Harry Potter, where they're talking about how Voldemort doesn't, kind of looks down on people and doesn't recognize their true worth, and, you know, they bring up the fact that he underestimates house elves. Compare that to Gandalf, where he's like, he relies on first Bilbo and then in Lord of the Rings, Frodo, where the hobbits are really, even though, you know, they're half, you know, they're half people kind of thing. Uh, Was that the term that they they used? They're halflings. Thank you. Halflings. My gosh, I kind of blanked out on the word, but we're, they're halflings. You know, they're small, they're, they're they're separate from other species, and yet, you know, Gandalf really recognizes that they have a big part to play. Mm-hmm. Just It shows kind of his view on the world where, you know, he recognizes that the size doesn't, size doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think it's a, a big distinction, to, you know, to where a lot of the humans are always like, ugh, and he, he does give him credit, so mm-hmm. it does mm-hmm. definitely set him apart. I think it's interesting just that you tend to, it's it's almost like the hobbits are actually the kind of race that you're supposed to relate more to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even in Lord of the Rings, you're really kind of identifying a lot more with the hobbits than you are with the men. Yeah. Yeah. Really, the hobbits are, yeah, among the most likable characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really are, like... Besides, you know, certain exceptions, of course, but there are always exceptions. But yeah, the hobbits are really the ones that the most likable characters, I find. Yeah, you like to read about them, you mm-hmm. usually agree with them, you want to defend them. Yeah. And, well, I'm wondering how much of, like, Gandalf's reliance on the hobbits is, because they kind of point at it in the end of The Hobbit, is that there's, um, there's these prophecies you know, relating to the fall of the necromancer, the fall of Sauron and the One Ring or whatnot, and that the Hobbit is supposed to be putting these things in motion. And wasn't in the Hob in isn't the prophecy in like the Lord of the Rings, it says like it deals with halflings. It says like a half man. Yeah, but Gandalf wasn't actually the one who heard about that prophecy. Mm. Who was it? Was it yeah. was it Elrond? No, um, that they found out a prophecy at you know when they actually had the um, the council. Oh. Was, yeah, it was the humans who actually brought the prophecy, and that's how Boromir actually. Uh, that's the reason why Boromir came to the council to see what was going on because his brother Faramir uh, had a dream where the prophecy was revealed. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. I knew that prophecy came into it at some point too. 
But like I said, even in the end of The Hobbit, like when Gandalf and Bilbo are talking over the adventures on the very last page in that book right there, Bilbo asks something about a, a prophecy and Gandalf's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, you don't have to worry about that right now. <laughs> Can I just say I love prophecies? Mm-hmm. I, I love that they're a big part of fantasies and stuff. I, I do too. Like, I love them so much. They make it so interesting. They make, they make stories so interesting. Trying to figure out their cryptic meanings. Mm-hmm. Or they're self-fulfilling, where they actually, because someone knows about the prophecy, that's why it comes true. It's just so cool. I love it. I kind of zoned out because I was looking through the book, but you guys talked about Bilbo? Yeah. Yeah? Well, a little bit. Not very much. Anything you wanted to say? Well, kind of, and you did talk about it from the perspective of Gandalf, where he says, or where he, he sees a lot more in them, and it says, even, I think this is when he's talking to, it says specifically there's a lot more in him than you guess a deal more than he has any idea himself and this idea that you kind of don't know what you're capable of until it's put to the test in a sense and kind of where that comes from in a sense because I think the I guess we can call it society that um that he's grown up in like I really love the descriptions of like the Shire and like you were talking about like the took side of him and everything Mm -hmm. And I have written here, let's see, um, when they're talking about the Bagginses being very respectable because most of them were rich, but also because they had never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. And how basically being rich and boring is equal to being respected yeah. in this society. Um, and how, and like how the, anything the Tooks did kind of got hushed up. But then there's this great, this part that when they bring out the map for the adventure and, um, it says, it says that Bilbo, he loved maps and in the, in his hall there hung a large one of the country road and his favorite walks and stuff like that. And the idea that he loved maps even though he wasn't supposed to have adventures. And so I think that that, I've only read two chapters and there, and I'm already like, there, there really was more inside of him. Yeah. And then when the dwarves sing too, he says that there was a, he has a jealous love, a fierce and jealous love after they've sung. Yeah. That like awakens something inside of him. It's definitely like the characterization where, you know, he, he's a respectable hobbit in, you know, hobbit terms. Mm-hmm. And, that underlying hook, that underlying spark of adventure that he just—it's—he's it, supposed to stamp it down because it's not respectable for a hobbit to want to go on adventures, and yet it's there. And he really needed Gandalf and the dwarves to kind of force it out of it. I feel like he was ready to do it anyway. Like, he, yeah, he was a respectable hobbit, but he really didn't want to be that. Yeah. Like he was only follow. It was like you said, he was only following what the other hobbits, the society told him. Like, oh, I need to be respectable. He was following the rules of hobbit society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was following the norms, mm-hmm. trying to fit the standard. Mm-hmm. It sounded really boring to me. Well, yeah. At the end, like when he says he was always. Um, he did so many more adventures, or not adventures, but he made visits to elves, and he had friends with dwarves, and blah blah blah, and the neighbors just didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> you know, just like, oh, he just completely ruined himself. <laughs> Another thing, and Jen and I were talking about this once we both finished too, that always makes me laugh is when he comes back from his adventure to the auction where they're selling off his stuff, because <laughs> yeah. I think he's dead, and they're like, wow. So he's not dead after all, and not everyone was that pleased about it. Because, you know, the, what is it? Oh, 
I can't remember what the what his relatives are, but they're like, yeah, we really wanted to live in his nice hobbit hole. <laughs> it was like the best there is. Yeah. And it took and years to get. Yeah. And then it also mentions that yeah, he had to crack down the people who bought his stuff and it actually took years. About to get to buy it back. <laughs> yep, he had to buy back his stuff. That is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he had enough money though. Yeah, by that yeah, time he that definitely did. Funny. That wasn't the point though. That was his stuff. They just sold it off. <laughs> Damn you, sack the bag in the room. Uh, $10, 10 bucks, or 10 pounds, or whatever, says that the, uh, the dwarf that's in the Lord of the Rings movie, or not dwarf, the, the hobbit that's in the Lord of the Rings movies that's, like, sweeping in the beginning, he gives the dirty look to Gandalf, and, and then he smiles when the kids are all happy about the fireworks, and then his wife comes out, and he goes, frowning again, he's in this. <laughs> Ooh. Somehow, somewhere, I don't know, but he'll be in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll take that. Keep an eye out. I'll watch the movies again. Yeah, well, we gotta have a marathon at some point. Yeah, yeah. Extended edition. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do we have anything else to talk yeah. about? The return of Sting? The sword? Or the, the really, it's, it's a sword for him, but it's more like a dagger. You know? I found it really interesting that, like, the other swords had names and the orcs were, like, terrified of it, mm. but he named his himself. Well, it, it's like you said, it was really a dagger, right? Yeah. Except it was basically, like, a sword for him. Yeah. So, Another you know, thing that was underestimated until he made something of it. It was kind of the Hobbit of Swords. <laughs> Aren't all daggers just like the Hobbits <laughs> of Swords? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so small that like you don't really pay attention, but it's more it plays a bigger role than you realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. got it stuck in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> that was what was really interesting too to me was I kept noticing in the book how it, even though it didn't have this dagger didn't have the reputation that I think Fighter and like the other two goblin killing swords had, that any time he brought it out, people were terrified of it. Like, Gollum was not entirely sure about this sword at all, which is why he didn't attack right away. And, like, the goblins saw it, and they just, they were terrified of it. And even the spiders, they couldn't see Bilbo, but they saw the sword, and they did not like it at all. Because it's like, light, yeah. evil is darkness, and what does darkness fear? Light. Yes. That's so profound, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually probably what it is. Except for the what's in my pocket. <laughs> it really is though with this one, and then you know, really with the entire Lord of the Rings. If you think about the entire plotline of Lord of the Rings, how coincidental the plotline is. How it's all based. Yeah, the whole storyline is based on a coincidence in the Hobbit that Bilbo happened to put his hand down right where the ring was. Do you know what I mean? Well, in part two, like the ring has its own. I don't know. It can do stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how much it can influence others, you know, but... Purposefully left Gollum. Yeah. In and, order to yeah. be found by someone who would take it out mm-hmm. of obscurity. And, yeah. and you have to think that, likely, the ring falling out, falling out, leaving Gollum, likely thought or that it would be picked up by a orc, like more of an evil being. Yeah. And yet, Bilbo happened to put his hand down in the exact spot to find it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, everything's based on a coincidence. And, you know, obviously, this isn't the only book or the mm-hmm. only series that is. There are so many different books and so many different stories that you can say, oh, yes, it's all based on a coincidence. But it just kind of blows my mind that what if that hadn't happened? What would have happened instead? And I honestly, I love those kind of questions like what if questions where you what if you take away this event and try to replace it with something else what would have happened if this hadn't it, it's just like it's an unending question yeah a fun one go a thousand different directions from it exactly well and again that like brings it back to the prophecies i turned to this last page in the book and gandalf says like surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies just because you had a hand in bringing them about mm-hmm. you don't really suppose that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit so pretty much like the ring putting itself into Bilbo's possession, like, was just fulfilling. Fulfillment. It was. It, it might have been a coincidence, but it wasn't mere luck. It's just such a big question that, like, you could talk about it for ages and never really find the end to the subject. That's another yeah. riddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just thinking about how we say that prophecies only come about when you try and keep them from happening or whatever, or when you believe in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you stop believing in them, they won't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's so many examples of that too. We could probably. Oh yeah, we could talk oh, yeah. about. Oh, gosh, we could do yeah. like Ever. five episodes on prophecy. <laughs> we don't have time for that. No, we don't. Well, hopefully, I can get it done before the before the movie. I won't hold my breath. Shut you up. You should really try, Kendall. I really. I want to, because then it, well, I don't have any other chances. I mean, obviously the other two movies, but still, like, it's a, yeah. yeah. One chapter a day. One chapter a day. I can do that, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would like to. And I think um, Doran plans on trying to get it done before the movie as well. Yeah. So, it'll be a good time, and we'll record just after we all go and see the movie. Yay! Yay! <laughs> The next episode is going to be on the film Cloud Atlas. Um, you can find us at adaptationpodcast.com to see what we'll be covering in the future and, um, you know, find out about upcoming adaptations and find links to subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, this is Adaptation reminding you... You don't descend into nerddom. You rise up to it. <laughs> and that's divine. <laughs> Preach it, sister. <laughs>